Dale Valente. Nah, it's got to be better than that. Dale Valente. One more time. Be more on my heels. Like, say it like you're in a shouting match. Dale Valente. There you go. So that means Dale, Dale, God, Valente, like volunteer, uh, willing, God willing, God willing. James says at one point, you know, don't say I'm going to go do this. Say, I'm going to go do this if the Lord wills. Deo Valente is a way to say if the Lord wills uh, at the end of a sentence, if you want to. Uh, I'm going to try to more in my life. I kind of like it. I, I feel like it's just a cool thing to say. Like, hey, I'm going to the store. Deo Valente. You know, walk off. I, I, I'm a nerd like that. But I also can see that finding ways for us to talk as a congregation together during a sermon or maybe at a pro-life march. It's kind of a call and response habit we can build. Uh, many, uh, what we would call ethnic churches, do this in sermons. You've, you've heard that where the crowd talks back to the pastor, right? That is trained. That is learned behavior. So I have a, a dream that we could do some of that here over time. And Deo Valente is one of those things. So that's all I'm going to give you on it for today. Okay, we're going to get into naming instead. But I may just drop another Deo Valente. There you go. I mean... I may drop another phrase for you to repeat, Deo Valente. Huh? Yeah, you see what I did there, though, right? Can you catch that? Because it really does mean God willing, right? So I'm going to try to use it correctly. Like maybe I'll be saying, St. Paul Lutheran Church is going to continue to be a light on a hill for the word of God, Deo Valente. Yeah, it's, it's like an amen a little bit, right? Can you hear that? When you say it, it's a little like an amen. All right. Naaman. Second Kings, chapter 5, page 311 of your pew Bible. Our goal today is this kind of drop-in, fly-away, one-shot text is to figure out, really, the answer to the question, what on earth does Naaman the Syrian have to do with you? I want you to ask that question of yourself now, especially if you're younger, because I know that's it's not just a problem for young people. It's a problem for all of us that we, we don't read the Bible because we don't think it has anything to do with me, with us. If I could open the Bible and it just talked about me, obviously, all the time. Jonathan was a great guy. Everyone loves him. Yeah, I'd want more of that, right? But it doesn't seem on the surface to be about you in the Bible because it's not. It's about Jesus, and, and we're going to come to that too. But I want to suggest to you Bible reading Christian Lutherans, that the, the opening up of the Bible's meaning to you does get to the point where you have to ask, what does this have to do with me? What am I supposed to take from this? What am I because of this? And I think this, this story of Naaman the Syrian is a good, a good training ground for asking that question and getting to the right answers without going to the other side, which is the error of thinking that the Bible's a magic book and you open it up when you have a problem, you put your finger here and there's going to be a verse that says exactly what you needed to hear. And that could actually work, but it doesn't mean that's how it always works because it's not how it always works. It's not magic, right? Uh, but it is living and active, a two-edged sword meant to pierce your soul and regrow you anew. That does then, the Bible, have to do with you at the end of the day. Right? 
So again, what does Naaman the Syrian have to do with you, this guy from thousands of years ago, a faraway place? If you hear about Damascus today, you hear about a a broken city, a a third world war zone, a collapsed civilization. That's all you really hear about Syria and Damascus. It's far and away removed from being kind of the most awesome, not empire, but significant power in the entire Mediterranean for a season. They never conquer everybody like, you know, Babylon and us, Syria will do. But Syria, Damascus, like no one really conquers them, right? There's, there's all sorts of Egypt taking this and, and Babylon taking that. And Syria, Damascus is like, okay, yeah, whatever. We're fine over here. They, they were a big influence on the Mediterranean world. They were power, okay? Naaman the Syrian was a guy wrapped up in that power. He's in the military. He does the work of a soldier day in, day out. His life is hard. His life is disciplined. What What does that have to do with you? Well, you can imagine a man like that, right? You can imagine a world like that now a little bit. Where you live in a place of power, where life requires discipline, uh, where uh, maybe you're doing pretty well in all of that. Yeah. But then, okay, so what what does this have to do with you? Um, Naaman had a problem. Do you have problems? Yes, you got problems. Naaman had a problem. His problem was leprosy. Is your problem leprosy? Good. I'm glad. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, uh, But maybe your problem is cancer at some point, right? But that is real too, right? Naaman has a problem. His is leprosy. That means that he can't live the life he wants to live, all right? And this story is going to be about the removal of that problem by God. It doesn't mean God's going to take all your problems away. That's not what I'm going to say at all. That's not what this has to do with you. But Naaman is a lot like you in this way, right? He's in a system that he has to deal with and he doesn't get to change it. And he's got a personal problem that vexes him. It's really private. He can't even share it with people. He's stuck with it. He's just got to carry it. Okay. Now, there's more to name in here, but I, I want to I get into the story first, right? And kind of pull it out as we go along. Then what else can we see about the similarity between you and Naaman that is going to lead you to the foot of the cross of Jesus as well? Okay. So let's start in on chapter five, verse one where it tells us, and we kind of went over this a little bit, uh, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him, notice the Lord Jesus, God had given victory to Syria. Syria doesn't worship God, but you know the, uh, the writer here is acknowledging that the only way any country wins any battles is because God lets them. Uh, and so Naaman had been at the front lines of this. He's, he's a hero to his king. He's in high office. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Okay, we, we covered all of this so far. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman's a good man. Naaman's not a good man. How do you judge this man? He's got a slave girl that he got on a raid. 
and she likes him so much she wants him to get better. Talk about a paradox, especially for the modern mind. We don't, even, we don't have a category for how to think about this guy or feel about this guy. Yeah. But what you do see that's a lot like you is that he does have people that he has to care about. Having a slave girl in the ancient world didn't mean a shack out back. You had to feed that person. You had to clean that person. You had to, you had to provide. You were, you were like a father to that person. And you'll see this later in the text when the servants of Naaman say father. They call him father. Because the relationship of clients, uh, of authority figures over you on whom your life depends, was an understood reality back then. We don't quite have that now. We used to in America was sort of the, I, I will work for this one business my whole life. I will retire. I will get a pension. That's kind of like being a client to the business. Yeah, You're in the family a little bit. Uh, we're not really there anymore. But that was part of the ancient world. Yeah, you do have people you care about, though. You do have people you have to provide for. You do have people you owe things to. Name is just like you in that way. And it happens to be that one of the people who he is taking care of, although uh, admittedly he stole her, and that's something I would encourage you not to do to other people. He has this person there and she tells him that his problem, his illness will be solved if he goes to talk to the prophet of Jesus Christ in Israel. Now, again, uh, let me take all of that and tell you how this makes you just like Naaman. He wasn't supposed to be there, and he didn't deserve it. That's how you're like Naaman. You're not supposed to be here in church. I know you're members. You've done it your whole life. I know. I get it. I get it. God bless St. Paul Lutheran Church. You're not supposed to be here. You were born in sin and evil. God should have nothing to do with you. You don't deserve it. That's a fact. I'm in the same boat. I'm sitting in front of the same fire, God. I got the same problem. Just like Naaman. And he's so far away from God, too. He's so far away, he doesn't even know there's a God in Israel. But then here comes, here's how you're like Naaman. Here comes the word of God. The word of God comes to Naaman through this little girl, a babe. Out of babes and infants' mouths, the gospel speaks. And it's a strange word. It's not the word that God sends to you. He sends to you the words, he is risen. Alleluia. Those words, nonetheless, through this little girl, come to Naaman. Right? He doesn't deserve it. He isn't supposed to be there. But they say, go to the prophet. And Naaman does respond. He hears the calling out and he follows. Is it for the sake of his flesh? Yeah, of course. He wants more. He wants better. He wants to be free from his leprosy. All right, we're going to skip over the bit uh, where the king of Israel is a little disconcerted by the letter he gets from the, the king of Syria. I can tell you about it. King of Syria says, dear, kind of my enemy, sometimes guy, please heal this man of his leprosy. Then we'll be friends. Thank you. Yeah? And, and he gets the letter. and He's like, he's trying to start a fight with me, this guy. He's going to be mad that I didn't do it. When I say I cannot heal your guy, he's going to be like, how dare you offend me? Attack, right? So that all goes on, but someone says to the king of Israel, hey, no, 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 we actually have a prophet. You, you don't know this. Oh, well, you're, you're, you're a king of Israel. Of course you don't know this. You don't listen to the prophets. We have a prophet. His name's Elijah. He's a man of God. Uh, and so they send Naaman and his whole uh, cavalcade that he has with him, an ensemble he brings with him. They send them to, to Elisha. Now, um, uh, verse 9 then, verse 8, excuse me. Uh, when Elisha, the man of God, Oh, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So it's Elisha himself 
who actually has to say, no, 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 really, I got this covered. So here's where our reading picks up. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him. Where's the hospitality, huh? Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. It's quite a promise right there. But again, he's sitting outside the tent. He's in a tent in the desert, nothing around it. It's a prophet's little hole, okay? And he's got like troops and silver and gold and all sorts of gifts to give and armaments and whatnot. And he's sitting there at this little tiny tent, and the guy in the tent won't come out. But he sends out some other guy who's not the, the guy he's supposed to see. And the other guy says, yeah, just go get wet over there. You'll be fine. Seven times. Uh, you can kind of see where the name is a little put off. You can kind of see it. Yeah. Uh, verse 11, Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord is God. Wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Right there, two more ways. The Naaman is, is just like you. Huh? Uh, first, God speaks and he doesn't exactly pay attention. He drifts off a little bit. Isn't that interesting? Uh, maybe for 15 minutes, not more. Just like us. The Bible sits there all week long, right? And you open it. Do you open it? I hope you do. You do. Do you feel the pull against opening it? Maybe you're so disciplined that you don't have that problem first thing in the morning anymore. But if you try to do it a new time in the day, you know, set down portals of prayer after 10 a.m. And at five o'clock at night, go pick up the Bible, read another chapter, see how hard it is. Your body just doesn't want to do it. We don't pay attention to the word of God as part of our curse. Naaman had the same problem. Everyone's got the same problem. You're not unique in this. Uh-huh. But recognizing that you don't pay attention to the word of God natively, that it's not in you to do this, is to confess the sin of it and to stand before God with him willing to forgive you. Uh, not willing to, forgiving you. To confess the sin of failing to love the word of God with all your heart and soul and mind is to begin to love the word of God with all your heart and soul and mind. Because that word of God that says, you don't deserve it, you don't pay attention, you say, amen, hallelujah to it. It's true. It's true. I don't love God enough. Hallelujah. I love him as much as he lets me though. Thank God that he's shown me my weakness. That I may not be so what, confident in myself, I can boast in him instead. Yeah. Don't pay attention. Second thing. Okay, so first off, the word of God comes to Naaman. You know, go do this. He goes, ah, Whatever. And then he says what he'd rather have, right? So he doesn't pay attention to God. And then what would he rather do? He'd rather follow his own stupid heart. It's what he'd rather do. I imagined he'd come out and there'd be a big show. And then I'd be healed. So I don't want, I don't want anything. I don't want baptism to save me. It's just water. I want to have the Holy Spirit fall upon me and speak in tongues and cure diseases. Name is just like all of us in this way. So don't let yourself off the hook. Following the stupid heart. And I, I mean stupid. Your heart's stupid. Okay, it's cute. It's, it's fun to pet your heart. You can hug your heart. You can share your heart. But don't listen to your heart as if it's wise. It, it just isn't. 
It wants what it wants. Wisdom comes from the word of God, right? Now, okay, you're just like Naaman in this way and that the word of God comes and you don't always accept it. You don't always believe it. You often kick against the goads of it, but God keeps pushing anyway. So Naaman goes away. Uh, He says what he says, verse 12 then. Uh, No, excuse me. Let's go to verse 13. His servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Which again, is like, it, it gets back to the whole fight between the two kings. Like this is a ridiculous thing. This is a, a miracle cure that's actually a miracle, right? And, and it's so weird. It's like if I said to you, go rub some bacon on it, you'll get better. And you did it and it worked. It, it doesn't make any sense. And yet his servants see, like, because it doesn't make any sense, the prophet said something that doesn't seem normal. Why won't you try it then? If he's coming at you with a word from outside of your expectations, that's a promise of your everlasting salvation, why are you arguing? And again, well, if St. Peter says baptism now saves you, why are you arguing? I know, St. Paul, you're not, but there's plenty of people online that are. They don't think it saves us. It says it right in the text. So Naaman is then called back by these servants, and he does listen. He trusts enough of the word of God to do what it says, right? And so for us Christians, again, it's going to be be baptized into the name of Jesus and heed his word. Listen to what he says, yeah? Uh, For Naaman, it's going to be be baptized, just not in the name of Jesus, kind of proleptically here. Verse 14, he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So this is the third way you're just like Naaman. He was baptized into Christ. You are baptized into Christ. He went down into the water. You went down into the water. The word of God over and with the water spoke a promise unbelievable yet true. And it came to pass not only for the sake of Naaman's cured leprosy, but for the sake of his faith. So just as the promise of your resurrection from the dead, according to Christ's binding of you to himself by water and the word, gives you trust in him right now to actively live as a child of the kingdom to come, so also Naaman received trust right then to believe everything God ever said to him, to take every word he could. In fact, to be desirous to worship Yahweh the Lord, even though his master would continue to worship Rimen, a false god. He doesn't have the right to declare to his master he has to worship differently. He probably shouldn't even worship differently than his master. That's kind of a a thing there, right? You're not supposed to tell the king he's wrong about his gods. He's going to do that anyway, though. He's just not going to abandon his service to the king. That's later in the text there. Let's come back to he was baptized into Christ. Naaman is baptized into faith in the same God you are baptized into. The water with the promise regenerates not only his flesh, but his mind and his heart. Just like God has done for you. Now, what does he do in response to this? What happens as a result of this? Verse 18, excuse me, verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he stood and came before him. And he said, behold, 
I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. So you, you see that he has a confession of faith there, right? He states that the Lord, Jesus Christ, is God of the whole world. And he even states that that God can only be found in a very specific place, which is the, at the time the, the nation state, uh, the people of Israel. Why? Well, because Jesus Christ as the seed that would save the world and be our king was in embryo in that people. Right? They carried him from Adam all the way down to when he was born. And the rest of us who aren't Jewish uh, did not. So he sees this as a man who's not Jewish, that salvation is somewhere else. And he says, I want some dirt from that place. Can I have some dirt? Like two mule loads of dirt. I should read it to, to get back there, right? It's first, first, he offers the gift, right? Let me pay you, prophet, for your work. And the prophet's like, that ain't how it works. Yeah. So that's what the next verses are. Um, verse 16, uh, uh, Elisha says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but he refused. Uh, then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but, but Jesus. Uh, and then he's going to talk about bowing in the temple. Let's come back to that. But it's, the, the dirt isn't random. I mean, for us it is. I guess you maybe buy some dirt to fill in a hole in your backyard. But by and large, you're not after dirt, right? Uh, and, and yet, for him, he sees the dirt not merely as something I might get from a, 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 a dig out somewhere where they drop it off to work in my yard. He sees the dirt as, as spiritual. He sees it as holy. Because of his knowledge that God is in that place. It's like when uh, Moses has to take off his sandals near, near the burning bush. Knowledge that God is in a place makes everything in that place better. Makes it holier. Makes it more righteous. Makes it more good in all ways. God's presence is, is a good thing. So he wants to take some of that dirt from where God is working directly with his people back to his hometown so he can make sacrifices on the land, on the promised land, right? I mean, talk about understanding what's going on. He gets it. Now, people who go over there today and bring back a little bit of that dirt and put it in a crystal on their necklace so they can be blessed, they don't get it. Because that land, that dirt is Jesus. And once Jesus was born and became the new creation arising from the grave, the food of his flesh and blood that he puts inside of you makes you more holy than any dirt you're going to pick up by the River Jordan. So see that here, you are baptized into Christ. You have the faith of Naaman. And you have a new covenant that Naaman didn't have. It's a better covenant. Spirit's poured out in a different way. Nonetheless, you're like Naaman in this way too, right? So you're not supposed to be here. You don't deserve it. You don't pay attention. You follow your stupid heart, but you're baptized into Christ and you're going to go back to a stupid world, but with a changed heart. And I hope this not only happened the day that you realized you were a Christian. I pray that this happens every Sunday. I pray that this happens every morning when you read the Bible. That you remember who you are in Christ so that you can go back to a stupid world, but with a changed heart. Now, let's, let's look at, again, the text in its conclusion, and I'll summarize and come back to that thought again. So, here it is. Uh, he says, verse 18, 
in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant, right? I got to go back to a stupid word. When my master goes into the house of Rimen to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimen, when I bow myself in the house of Rimen, the Lord Jesus, pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha tells him, go in peace, which means that this prayer is accepted. It's accepted. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, idolatry is what's going on here. That's a big topic we won't have time for this morning. But the way it's being practiced is by worshiping statues kind of directly. And it's part of his job in the military of Syria to go in and bow down before the statue that the king thinks is God. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be attached to this covenant of you people, people of God, as much as I can. But when I'm back in my stupid world and I'm surrounded by evil things and there's nothing I can do about it, God, forgive me. I'm going to do my best. You go back to the stupid world, but you go with the changed heart. I'm going to bow down to that idol because I have to, because my king's going to force me or cut off my head, but I'm not going to bow down to that idol at all. It's a stupid statue. Everyone's worshiping it like it's a god. That's weird. But my master's right here, and I, my job is to hold his arm while he goes down on his bow. So I can't help it. I got to go down. I'm not bowing to that, but I'm going to be bowing in his presence. May God understand that I want to follow him. May God believe that my trust in his salvation has not fallen away. I'm going back to a stupid world, but I have a heart that knows I don't belong there anymore. And I'm going to do what I can to let everybody else know about that, really, right? At the end of the day, you go back a changed man. Now, we just got a few minutes left here. That's the end of where the text went to. There's a lot more that happens. It's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, Naaman ends up leaving the servant of uh, Elisha Gehazi, he decides that it's time to get rich and let's go ask for some of that stuff that Elisha said no to. Gehazi gets it, brings it back, kind of hides it. And then Elisha says, so Gehazi, yeah, that stuff you took, you know, it's leprosy now for you. And he gets leprosy and he's stuck with it for quite a while, yet he remains Elisha's servant in the story and ends up doing some good things later as well. Very fascinating little bit there. But what I want to do now, though, is, is dovetail and close this into what does Naaman have to do with you? What does Naaman have to do with Jesus? Because everything I just said about Naaman and you being alike and you being able to mine this story for spiritual fulfillment and psychological understanding, it all rests on your assumption that this book has anything to do with you. And if you think about it, again, where you come from, who you are, what right do you have to claim a place in the story of the Bible? Who do you think you are? Now, maybe you know right away the right answer there, which is the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus Christ. And so when I know what name it has to do with Jesus, and since I'm tied to Jesus, now I have a reason to believe Naaman has something to do with me. Because I'm in Christ. And Naaman has to do with Christ, therefore Naaman has to do with me. And I can go mining it for uh, this theological understanding, this spiritual meaning, right? The, the value and the piety. But it's only because this is ultimately about Jesus. And since this is the day that we remember the baptism of our Lord, it makes sense. Here we have a story from the Old Testament that looks a whole lot like a story from the New Testament. It happens all the time. 
Most of what Jesus does in the Gospels, there's a parallel story in the Old Testament where kind of the same thing happens, only different, and usually more sin on the part of the people kind of in charge of everything. Because, of course, Jesus does it without sin. Yeah, Uh, but uh, trying to show these connection points, this is how the Old Testament does prophesy Christ. The baptism of Naaman in the Jordan River prefigures the baptism of Jesus Christ in the Jordan River. And I'm not going to take the time to go through and try to tie all the different pieces to it the way I tied it to you a moment ago, uh, but that can be done. What I want you to see is, again, when God decides to do something, he does it publicly, he does it without looking back, and he makes it clear that it's going to stay. And so the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River was Jesus declaring publicly that the Old Testament was being fulfilled in him. When he then takes the idea of baptism that John had been doing, and he reforms it into Trinitarian baptism, baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he makes it his own. And he declares it to be part of his new covenant, sending his church, Matthew 28, out into the world to disciple by means of washing you, baptizing you, and teaching you the word of God. Yeah, Because that's happened to you. Because Jesus has claimed you. Because you are washed in his name. Now you can look back at the story of Naaman. And you can see, look, that points forward to Christ. And look how he's just like me. And look how this is just a story of me with Christ. And how that's what it is for all of us. And how the more that we understand that we're all sharing that same journey of growing into trust in Jesus, the more we're going to love each other. We pray that at the end of every service. You ever catch that? You know, We ask that after having had the Lord's Supper, being given pardon and peace in this sacrament. We ask that God would increase our faith before him and make me trust you more. And our love for each other. Those things go together. Yeah. And if they are the result of the good news of Jesus active on you, Deo Valente. It's going to be hard for me to get the habit of that one, but it's good. It comes back pretty fast. I'm going to say it one more time. Deo Valente. In the name of Jesus. Amen.